You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you all a question. Does anyone, without looking at your phones, uh, know what the U.S. standard railroad gauge is? That's the, the standard distance between two railroad tracks. Anybody? There may be some old, old railroad guys in here. Anyone know what that distance is? Five, you said 5'8". Any others? I better put some money on it. I'd hear some answers, wouldn't I? Anybody? Any, how wide is a, are, there, are railroad tracks? What's the standard width? Huh? Six foot. Four and a half. You'd think that, wouldn't you? You'd think it would be a good even number. Four and a half, five, six. It's actually four feet, eight and a half inches. And that's because it, it can be traced back to the first long distance highways in Europe, which were built by Imperial Rome for the benefit of their armies. The roads have been in use ever since. And the ruts first made by the Roman war chariots, which you can go and find gateways still in Rome with, with hewn uh, ruts in the stones from uh, those chariots, four feet, eight and a half inches, which were the width a chariot needed to be to accommodate the rear ends of two war horses. All right. Matter of fact, in 1905, there was an issue of popular mechanics that says, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to skip that because I don't have time this morning. There's an extension to this story and it has to do with the space shuttle. So the space shuttle, you know, if, if any of you remembers the space shuttle had those two rocket boosters on the sides. Y'all remember that? I hope y'all are old enough to remember space shuttle. All right. And so those are called SRBs, solid rocket boosters. And the SRBs were made in Utah. But the engineers who made them, uh, even though they may have preferred to have bigger rocket boosters, they had to be able to fit uh, on the railroad to get from the railway line through the factory, uh, through a tunnel in the mountains. And that tunnel slightly wider than the railroad tracks. And so the railroad track is about as wide as two horses behinds. Right. So the major design feature of what was arguably the world's most advanced transportation system at the time was determined 2000 years earlier by the width of a horse's rear end. Right now, why am I sharing you that random historical fact? Well, now, if your spouse or someone you love is acting twice as stubborn You don't have to call them a horse's rear end. You just look at them and say, you know what? You're acting like the width of the two railroad tracks right now. All right. You know, Christians always come up with better, cleaner ways to curse. All right. That's not obviously what that's funny. I mean, come on. Two horses. Our road, our railroad is based on the width of two horses rear ends. I find that amazing. Obviously, y'all aren't awake yet. So, Paul, the reason I'm sharing this is things can get stuck and fixed in one, one path and no one even knows why. Why do we do it that way? And that's what Paul is dealing with, right? This, this rut that mankind had been stuck in since the beginning of time. The false doctrine that teaches achieving is better than believing, 
right? Paul had shared the gospel of grace with the Galatian believers. He had started these churches. They had, they had fled this legalistic pursuit of trying to please God in their own strength and had abandoned that for the liberty that is in Christ. And they pulled up out of those ruts and now they're sliding back in. They were free, right? The freedom of Christ is eye-opening, it's humbling, it's service-enabling power like no other. But now the Galatians, they were back down in it. Bootstrap belief. If I can just pull myself up by my bootstraps and will myself to do good, I'm gonna get to heaven. Galatians, the book of Galatians, is a remeasuring of the ancient tracks, ancient ruts. And it's also a reminder of God's standard measurement of grace. You want to know his measurement? Grace. So why don't we stand in honor of God's word this morning and read Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Galatians 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there's some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you preached, by one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. My fear every Sunday morning, I'm going to go ahead and ask Bubba Bateman to come up here and pray. My fear every Sunday is that people would enter in here with an effort to please man. You're not here to please the preacher. You're not here to please your mama. You know, you're in church. Mama likes that. You should be here to please one person this morning. That is our holy God. Amen. Bubba, would you pray for us? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this day. God, we thank you for the beautiful day you give us that we can come to your house and just to worship you. And Father, we thank you for our country. Lord, we have the freedom that we can do that, Lord God, and not be afraid. Lord, we ask you to just continue to bless it. And Lord, that you will keep us safe and just watch over us. Lord, we ask now that you be at this service. We thank you for uh, Went. And Lord, we ask you to be with him, bless him. And Lord, just let him have the words to say that you've given him and that you'll open our hearts to receive it. And God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as the Lord and Savior, would you just uh, let this day be the day of salvation for him, God? And we pray that you just do that. And Father, as we leave here, just give us safety to our homes. Watch over us and protect us this week. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Bubba. Y'all can be seated. So last uh, week, Paul turned it over to the authorities, right? But this week, he's kind of being, he was a little firm, but he's about to take the gloves off <laughs> with these Galatian believers. Uh, Y'all know Sir Isaac Newton. He, he lived between the late 1600s, early 1700s. Uh, he died in 1727, I think. But he, he, create, uh, he discovered the three laws of motion. And the first law, I won't read all of them, but the first law states that everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. The third law states that for every action there is, y'all know this one, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Paul had forces pressed upon the truth of the gospel. It was false doctrine, right? Do good, 
And I'm gonna tell you something. There are people in here, I believe that you still believe this. Do good and God will love you more. Earn your way to heaven. And every action has a reaction, right? So what's Paul's reaction? Shock. It's astonishment. Galatians 1.6 says, I am astonished. It's from the word theomai. Uh, it means to be surprised by the unexpected. It's in the present tense, meaning the, that he's continually amazed. Uh, as he writes this letter, he's thinking about, as one author described it, the, the defection of the Galatian Christians as an extraordinary thing. His use of theom theomazo conveys a rebuke similar to our expression, I can hardly believe what I'm hearing about you. Same word used to describe Jesus in Mark 6, verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He was shocked, astonished. By the way, church, let me just stop here and say this. Paul nor Jesus, though they were shocked by the sin and wickedness of others, people turning away from their faith, it didn't keep them from serving. And a lot of times, you know, we'll show up to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and there'll be 10, 15 people here. And it could be discouraging, right? Well, this, this is the only group that wants to sacrifice and get together to pray. Well, I don't think it's the only group that prays. But I'm not discouraged, right? We have to move on. There will be people who fall away from the faith. There, there will be people who sleep in on Sunday mornings. That's gonna happen, right? It's not, it, we don't start judging ourselves by, by these things in their lives. Their, their disobedience doesn't warrant our righteousness. We have to keep going. Maybe Jeremiah 2 verse 12, I think captures Paul's astonishment best when it says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, Four, why, why would we be shocked? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, <laughs> and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I look at people that do not believe in Jesus as the only way to heaven. And they may believe with all their hearts in another cistern, but it ain't holding water. So what are the things that astonished Paul? Well, first, the speed. Galatians 1 verse 6 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Man, it didn't take long. You know, on June 4th, 1783, at the market square of a French village outside of Paris, they started a bonfire and they threw wool rags on it and some wet straw to kind of create smoke. And they put over that fire a 33 foot in diameter, uh, like blanket. It, it was a balloon, right? And it, it was reported that in the presence of a respectable assembly and a great many other people and accompanied by great cheering, the balloon was cut from its mooring as that smoke went up in it and, and set free to rise majestically into the noon sky. 6,000 feet it went into the air, the first public ascent of a balloon, the first step in the history of human flight. It came to earth several miles away, floated to the ground gently in a field where it was promptly attacked by pitchfork-waving peasants and torn to pieces as an instrument of evil. <laughs> Slow descent, but a quick attack. 
Some were setting records, some were burning the future, right? No wonder Paul reacts with astonishment. Bloom hadn't even been up for long, and they're already putting pitchforks in it. One word study put it this way about the word quickly, how quickly they departed. It means with little or no delay, speedily, hastily, rashly, suddenly. By using tachios, Paul is emphasizing how rapidly the Galatians offer little resistance to the graceless messages and were jumping ship from the gospel ship to a sinking ship that was not the gospel. Notice that the addition of hutas, that's the word so, as in so quickly, even further emphasizes Paul's astonishment at the speed of desertion for a counterfeit gospel. Psalm 106 verse 12 recounts a brief history of God's people in the Old Testament when it says, they believed his words, ooh, that's good. They sang his praise, ooh, that's good. But they soon, soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Church, let me just pause here and say, if you're thinking about bailing on anything that is a biblical-based, faith-based decision in your life, wait. Don't do it. Sleep on it. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't freak out. Let your mind sleep. Pray. Compare it with Scripture. Get biblical counsel. Don't go running. If a smooth-talking philosophy professor give some really hard to understand but pretty convincing arguments against Christ. Don't panic about what you don't know. Take time. Fools rush in, but let me tell you something. Fools also rush out. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Do you know the Greek word translated as deserting was from military use, military desertion? Punishable by death. The Greek verb form highlights the fact that the desertion was voluntarily deserting grace to pursue the legalism taught by the false teachers. False teachers may have been smooth talking, you know, but we can't blame it all on them because those Galatian uh, believers were quick walking after this other gospel. Paul is shocked at the speed of the Galatian Christians' abandonment of salvation by grace. Secondly, he's shocked by their creed. Galatians 1 verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's not just the speed, it's the substance, the who that they're abandoning. First, they're abandoning the Messiah. Now, y'all may not know this, but our youngest son's middle name is Creed, Salem Creed Fox. And Salem in Hebrew actually means safe, complete, peaceful. <laughs> He'll grow into it. <laughs> or perfect. The gospel of grace is a Salem creed. It's a safe, complete, peaceful, perfect gospel. And though the verse is pretty short, it's, it's strong in doctrine. You're so quickly deserting him. You're not deserting a religion. You're not deserting a culture or a building. You're not running from one location to another. I've told y'all before, uh, pretty recently, I think about the first time I ever ran away from home. I guess I didn't like the way mom was doing things. You know, dad was at work, mom was at home. I just didn't like things. So I was, man, I, I'd had enough. I grabbed my shoes. I put my shoes on. I marched out to that dadgum driveway and I hopped on my big wheel. You know, the big plastic ones. Boy, you know, you can spin those front tires out. Man, I lit out down the street. I went further than I'd ever been before. Didn't have a destination except away from her. 
right? I don't know why they call it running away from home. You ain't running from home. You're not running from a location. You're always running from a person, from a relationship. That's what you run from. And so, you know, by the way, it backfired. I thought, man, she gonna come and scoop me up, give me some ice cream and tell me how awesome I am. But she came whipping down the street in her 1979 red Datsun hatchback, (laughs) complete with black plaid interior. And she whipped that tailgate up. She grabbed my plastic uh, big wheel. She chunked it in the back of there and she said, you come get in the car, we're going home and you're getting a whipping. I said, well, that didn't work out the way I thought it would at all. (laughs) You'll be happy to know I have not run away since. (laughs) I am staying put. Paul says, what are you doing? You're not abandoning a culture or a religion. You're abandoning a creed. You're deserting freedom. You're running from freedom. Galatians 1.6 says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, he could have said the Bible. He could have said the patriarchs. He could have said the faith of Abraham, but he said him. That's who you're deserting. I tell single folks all the time, you get them with your money, you better keep that money. You catch them with your body, you better keep that body and hope they don't get tired of that body and see a better looking one. I just thank God that God uh, that, that Vicky loved me because of my sarcasm. You know, I'm, I was poor and ugly then and still am, but I can keep my sarcasm till the day I die. You know what I mean? Just doesn't go away. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's like Paul saying, hey, do you not remember how God attracted you John 12 32 y'all think about your salvation and I when I am lifted up Jesus said will draw all people to myself I and and you were captured by the beauty of the grace of Christ and his grace is still sufficient as it was in 2 Corinthians 12 9 when Paul said it it's not just the speed of your departure it's the creed of your depart that you're departing from that's shocking Church, listen, don't throw grace in the trash by ever, ever for one single moment thinking that you're good enough to get to heaven on your own. Oh, preacher, I don't think that. No, I know. I know it's by grace through faith. I mean, like that verse says right over there. No, but some of you still judge your position, your status with the good old man upstairs based on what you perceive as your own self-motivated morality. Paul says, do you have any idea what you're doing? You're deserting Christ the Messiah. And it's not just what you're running from, it's what you're running to. The creed is the only hopeful destination. So Paul's like, where are you going? I wouldn't go anywhere when I was on my big wheel. I didn't have a destination. Lord, help me not get to Graham Avenue. You know, I'd never been up that far before. It's an artificial fate. The creed you're running from is the Messiah. The creed you're running to is a mirage. According to Wikipedia, a mirage is a naturally occurring optical phenomenon in which light rays bend via refraction to produce a displaced image of distant objects or the sky. The word comes to English via the French mirror or from the Latin mirari, meaning to look at, to wonder at. Paul is in wonder at their wonder. (laughs) Galatians 1 verse 6 says, Uh, turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one. But there are some who want to trouble you and distort the gospel. They want to bend. They want to refract. 
They want to displace the truth for a false image of hope. That's what this world's offering. Everything but Jesus offers false hope. John Phillips explains that the Galatians had been swept off their feet. After all, the Judaizers specialized in quoting Scripture, but they took texts out of context. Error, especially when it's wrapped in Scripture and presented under cover of a false hermeneutic, that's a preaching style, can sound very much like the truth. People who are not instructed in the whole counsel of God can become an easy prey to false teachers. But there's one problem. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. Well, there's a problem with that. We all wicked. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. So if you want peace, you need this magic thing called righteousness. And you ain't going to get that but one way. And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his willing sacrifice on the cross. So I don't care what you think you're looking at, you Galatian believers, but you've been duped. Pastors and commentators have said false teachers distort the gospel in three ways. Some like to twist the truth. They make it say what it was never meant to say. Some like to subtract from the truth. They'll leave out crucial elements of the gospel. And some add to the truth. That was the tactic of the Judaizers on Galatian believers. Faith is fine. Jesus is good. The cross works. The blood helps. But it's not enough to cover sin. To be dressed for heaven, you've got to add to the wardrobe a few religious accessories like circumcision or baptism or monthly fasting, this discipline, that sacrifice. Never enough. Paul reacts with shock at the speed and the creed they've abandoned, running from freedom into prison. Of legalism again. Well, third, we've got to go quickly. Paul's astonished at their need. Galatians 1, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Right? Paul mentions two needs here. And in each of the two needs, he's rebuking both the false teachers and the Galatian believers. First, the false teachers need to be punished. Galatians 1, verse 8. Let, them be, let him be accursed. Verse 9, let him be accursed. Doesn't matter if an angel preaches it or a legalistic Judaizer preaches it. Let him be accursed. Paul makes clear this isn't about favoritism. In my sanctified imagination, I imagine those Galatian believers were like, well, sure, Paul, you used to be a Judaizer, so you left that, so anything they say, you're going to be against anyway. So, I mean, but... Paul, it's almost like that Sherlock Holmes, you know, when they would fight in the Sherlock Holmes films and he would, he would, uh, he would flash forward and he would see ahead to the moves and the blocks of his opponent. Remember that? Some of y'all don't get out much. All right. So, and then it would rewind to real time and then he would carry that. That's what Paul, Paul is thinking ahead to the moves, to the thought processes of those he's speaking to. He said, just hold up before y'all go thinking that I'm doing this because I was once a Judaizer. Let me tell you, even if something as preposterous as an angel preaching a false doctrine, even if an angel in heaven did it, which ain't going to happen, but let's just say it did. Let's just pray pretend for a minute. It still would be accursed. And why would the false teachers need to be accursed? Because they trouble you. That's the word that's translated disturbing sometimes. Stirring up. Literally means to shake back and forth and therefore to agitate and stir up like the pool in John 5 verse 4. 
One scholar said it conveys the idea of mentally disturbing another to, or to cause a deep emotional disturbance and thus refers to an unsettled mind as when Herod heard of the birth of Jesus in Matthew 2 verse 3. It's a strong word, meaning to perplex. Describes the effect of the graceless gospel on the minds and hearts of the Galatians. It's in the present tense. They're, they're even doing this. They're continually stirring up the Galatians. They want it to happen. And so, anathema. That's the word for accursed, anathema. It can be good. It could be good, the word anathema, but it's not here. It, it can be turned over. In the New Testament, it's mostly used by Paul in a negative sense of placing someone under holy divine wrath or a divine curse. One commentator says of anathema, the thing, in this case the false teachers, has been taken from ordinary use and has been handed over to God for destruction. Men have no more to say about it. It's taken out of ordinary relationships and is devoted to God. So here Paul says that the punishment of the man who attempts to lay violent hands upon the gospel of Christ should be in God's hands. By the way, y'all got some things y'all need to give to God. You've been trying to fix it too long. Stop trying to fix it and give it to God. You can pray for mercy for whoever you're turning over to God. But you need to release some things. That man should be regarded as beyond men's power to help. He should be regarded as having fallen into the state about which Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I truly fear for those who distort God's gospel. They are messing with a true story of the one and only son of a holy God. Not messing with me, you're messing with him. Y'all remember when, when, uh, when Jesus appeared to Paul, to Saul, and said, why are you persecuting me? Paul, Saul hadn't laid a finger on Jesus. But every time he persecuted a Christian, he was persecuting Jesus. Well, second, the Galatian believers need to please. And I'll end with this. Every person, one way or the other, most of us want people to like us. We can say we, do, we don't care if other people like us, but secretly we kind of do. But truth sometimes muddies those waters. Isaiah 29, 13 says, This people draw near me, uh, near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me, get this, this is the problem. You should have a fear of God, but it's a wrong fear. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Anybody wonder why Paul says the same thing twice in verses 8 and 9? It's actually, there's actually one word different. Verse eight says a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you. Verse nine says a gospel contrary to the one you received. So Paul's reminding them, hey, while he's rebuking these false teachers, he's backdoor reminding the Galatian believers, hey, you received this. What are we talking about here? I saw you receive this. Now he's witnessing their need to please men. The Judaizers wanted to please their leaders by adding converts. I get, these, get this Galatian churches to turn back to Judaism. And now it'll be a feather in my cap from all my priests back home. The Galatian believers wanted to please the Judaizers because they were like a position of authority, right? But Paul only wanted to please Christ. Church, let me just say that I am constantly encouraged by this church. I, I feel like I speak some pretty hard truths from Scripture to this church. And I've done that not just publicly, but I've done it in private in counseling sessions. 
and private conversations and phone calls. And I believe that 99.9% of the time, those words, not just my words, but you receive those tough words. And I've received tough words from some of you. And I like them. I like it. <laughs> I like direct. I don't like gossip in a hallway. I like words to my face. Even if I don't like them, I like them. And I'm thankful for that. I really believe it's a key to the unity and peace that it is at Piperton right now. I give credit to that, that desire. I really thank God. I, I, and I don't like a flippant attitude that says, you know what? Don't tread on me. I don't care what other people think. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are more con less concerned with what their preacher thinks of them and what other people in the pew thinks of them. And they're more concerned about what God thinks. Doesn't matter if you want me to do this or not, preacher. I want to do it. God wants me to do it. Doesn't matter if you told me to do this or he told me to do this. This is what I want to do. I feel the Spirit leading me to do this. And I feel the Spirit with that cry to end this sermon. All right? <laughs> Church, listen. I want you to be happy. I want to preach happy. But I'm not going to preach a cheap gospel. Have you measured the ruts that you're stuck in lately? They could be old, old ruts cut deep into the stone. You need to hook up that winch and pull on out with the truth of God, all right? Don't run after a mirage. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. We pray today if anyone does not know you, they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. We thank you for literally every Sunday, it seems like, for two months now, we've been baptizing people and seeing people make hard, tough decisions to publicly profess you. And I pray if there are others that need to call on the name of the Lord, they would let that be an example to them. And they would come and make public their profession of faith. I also pray for those that want to make this church their home. Lord, we want people to plug in. And though the church membership in a formal sense like this in scripture may not be found, the way we do it you know it's a sign here kind of thing for our church it's a way to say i am going to serve at this church so if you don't want to serve then don't be a member but if you want to serve then come on and join and i pray if there's people that need to do that this morning they will i ask these things in jesus name amen This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.